0: Thank you. Okay, why don't you stand with me one more time, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture together and um, dig into this. I'm doing a a little more today, filling in um, as we are in transition with everything, but this morning, we're going to continue on in a summer series we're doing on storytelling, storytelling, um, sort of the power of story. And today's particular focus is going to be on this idea of stories and faith. Um, if you don't know, my wife is a graphic designer, and she puts most of our stuff together that you see on the screen. I love this. There's uh, a child here uh, with their headlamp in bed looking through, I don't know what that is, Calvin and Hobbes? I can't tell. <laughs> it kind of looks like Calvin and Hobbes from here. Um, but that's a good image of, of sort of that childlike part of our faith and the power of story. But today we're going to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews. And so if you want to follow along on your phone, on, on the screens up here, or in your paper Bible, I'm too uh, attention distracted to use my phone usually for scripture. Um, but here we go. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. And this is part of the lectionary, one of the lectionary readings for this summer, uh, uh, collections of readings. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 16. And then I'm going to go a little beyond verse 16 as well. Uh, So let's read this together. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Now, Jesus... Oh, 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 that's the book of Luke. That's not going to do it. (laughs) Let me get to Hebrews, which is almost towards the end of the New Testament there. Hebrews, James. Oh, yeah, there we go. Now, Now, faith... I mean, Jesus is good too, but that's not the actual verse. Um, Here we go. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. (sighs) Okay. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. I'm going to read that one more time. That's one of the key verses, by the way, in this passage, sets the context. Now, faith, pistis, faith, is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For by it, by faith, the people of old, he's talking about what we would call the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, the people of old, or even before, received God's commendation. By faith, we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command, so that the visible has its origin, the visible has its origin in the invisible. And now we're going to just jump ahead in part for time and all that, but please consider reading this chapter in totality. Uh, on your own. Verse 8, you can hear this mantra, now faith, for by faith, and by faith, in verse 1, 2, and 3, and now verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as an inheritance. And he went out without understanding where he was going. By faith he lived as a foreigner in the promised land As though it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, even though Sarah herself was barren, he was too old, he received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. So that, in fact, children were fathered by one man, and this one as good as dead, like the number of the stars in the sky, and like the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Verse 11, just a few more here. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. In the last verses here, verse 14, For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, if they had been thinking of the land that they had left, they could have returned to it. But as it is, they were aspiring to a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And this is the end of the reading there. And I'm going to read... Chapter 12, where Paul brings it all together, verses 1 and 2. And he goes, continues to go on in this sort of litany of by faith, by faith, by faith, retelling these stories. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross Disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So, Lord, as we wrestle with this passage today and as we talk about your story, the stories of old, the patriarchs and matriarchs of ancient Israel, and then the story of the church, the expansion of Israel in you, Lord, I pray that you would be with us present today. And as we wrestle also with the power of retelling story, telling the stories that we see that are true stories, stories that are parables, stories that we don't know if they happened in a modernistic, literal way or not, but we lean into them because they form us and shape us to live into our real lives now in a different way, in a Jesus-centered way. So we offer this up to you. I know I can't change hearts or minds, Jesus, but, oh, Holy Spirit, come and do what you can do, making Christ real in this moment in these people through the scandalous, messy teaching and worship and prayer and being family for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated this morning. Thank you for humoring me with that. And stories have power, don't they? Stories have power. I've talked before about my uh, hesitance with the use of story because story can be used Uh, negatively. It can be used to um, cause us to ignore other aspects of our being, other things that we might consider as factual. But at their root, they do have power to open our minds to a different way of being present to someone else when we hear their story. Stories can empower us to act. Stories can reveal what's wrong and spark ideas for solutions. Our capacity to see a vision of what has not yet happened through a mind open to the Holy Spirit, uh, can tell us and give us a new Jesus-centered vision of our life. This is the power of story. And stories, as we've said before, stories can be retelling that which has happened, which is factually true to use modern, sort of late modernity ways of thinking. Story can also be parable. Jesus used parables, which were not true stories in the sense of literal events, but they are true stories in that they convey truth. Story can convey a truth while not being a true story. You understand what I'm saying? You know, we tell us that's what a parable does. The story may not be an actual historical event, but what it conveys is truth. We exercise faith imaginatively. We represent as a substantial reality something in the future that we believe God to be God's will. This is what faith does. And as evidence produces a conviction in a person, our imagination... Our imaginative representation, something we let ourselves get caught up into, produces in us confident motivation to do what we need to bring about the imagination into reality. This is from a theologian, Boyd. In fact, Boyd goes on and says this about Hebrews 11. He says, this is illustrated by the heroes of faith listed in Hebrews 11. And and we just read about Abraham and Abraham's following and Sarah. uh, Abram and Sarah and they become Abraham and Sarah. And he says this, all these people were still living by faith, what we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, in verse 13. He says this, note the visual imagery and the faith that these heroes exercised. They were looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They imaginatively envisioned the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, verse 10, and lived, therefore, as foreigners and aliens or vagabonds in this world. I want to read a little more about what this faith is and story here before we dig a little more into this passage. I like how J.C. Shelley puts it, said this, faith is a way of knowing that constantly seeks understanding. In fact, that's a quote from an early church father. Faith is seeking understanding, this act of seeking understanding. It leads to reflection, a theological reflection on who God is and to faith as belief in the various doctrines about God. Jesus' creation, sin, salvation, human destiny, faith is presented rightly here as that which enables one to cope with the trials and tribulations of life. And Hebrews 11 reminds us of another paradox faith is also that which provokes hostility and ridicule being heaped upon the Christian community. You believe that? <laughs> So let me back up and just review two main conceptions of faith that we see here uh, in Scripture and and in Hebrews 11. Are you you awake? Say yes. Okay, all right. I know it's getting warm in here, but it's going to be okay. I'm probably warmer than all of you. (laughs) Faith, I think, has two... There's two basic ways we can talk about faith, and there's probably more, but here's two that we want to wrestle with a little bit today, a little more here. Faith is if you're filling in the blanks on your paper outline today that you may have got from the readers when you came in today, faith is a gifted and developed capacity to lean into a new future. Faith as a gifted, a gift from the Lord, but also a developed capacity to lean into a new future or prophetic imagination. Faith can be a gifted and developed capacity to lean into a new future, this sort of imagination or to use Brugarian terms, Prophetic imagination. So we talk about this idea of faith. And, and I like how um, Matthew Bates says, faith in the Christian context is not blind faith. It is not like Indiana Jones. And what was that? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Any of you know that movie? Any of you? Just the old movie from the 80s. Okay, all right. Uh, I know it's bad to use old movie references, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's a great example of what biblical faith is not. In the Last Crusade, he's supposed to find the, what was the goblet of Christ at, the, at his last supper, this communion chalice. And, and and to get to this place where it's being uh, being uh, watched over by some supernaturally old geezer knight uh, from the Crusades, I guess, he has to cross this chasm, and there's these instructions about you've got to step out in faith. Well, the chasm looks like there's nothing there, but there's this space there. And so he reads the thing as a step out, step out, step out, and it looks like you're going to step right, fall down into the Grand Canyon. And so finally he does it. He steps out and takes a step, and you see this big dramatic thing, and he steps out as if the big chasms are him. and the minute he steps there, it's like a, a visual, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 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 like when it's hidden, but it's there, a visual thing. He hits it and boom, there's actually this long, narrow bridge there over the chasm, but it's made to blend in with the thing. And then he throws some dust on it and he sees that it's all the way there and he walks across. That's not Christian faith, by the way. That's that's blind faith, trusting that something's there. That's not what he's talking about here. Faith here's rooted in this idea of God's working in the past and also this idea of, of a communication to our spirit, something that God communicates within us to know that there is more than simply what we're looking at right now in this present moment. It's something rooted in hope, and he ties this together in a triad, faith, hope, and love. Okay, so again, Hebrews is written to encourage those who are having trouble with the hope when Jesus did not return immediately after his resurrection. And so Hebrews is written to encourage the church, encourage these followers of Jesus that it's not over, that there is more to come. People hope for all kinds of things, don't we? We hope for uh, God and ask for things in faith. Sometimes these things are answered. Children are born, we get a job, the treatment works. Sometimes things take longer and sometimes we pass away without seeing those things that our hearts desire happen in this life. It can be difficult to follow the creator when we're not sure where he's leading. But we are again encouraged that faith calls us to place our biggest hopes in God and in God working through time through others as well. We find assurance about the creation outside of our immediate experience. And this is something faith does. It causes us to move beyond our immediate experience to believe and to see that there might be more, there might be greater things as well. The conviction of things not seen. The other component of faith I just want to wrestle with quickly here is this um, faith as allegiance. Would you say it with me? Allegiance. Allegiance or loyalty. In fact, Bates argues quite well that our use of the word faith when we talk about having faith in Jesus, faith is too too simplified of an English word. There are better words for what he's talking about here in terms of having faith in God. It's giving allegiance to God. He says this, in fact, in the New Testament, this means something that is true or real. But our use of faith or belief in English misses a range and depth of the New Testament, meaning faith. in the New Testament also means reliability, confidence, assurance, fidelity, faithfulness, commitment, and pledged loyalty. In fact, when we become a Christian, sometimes we reduce this conversion prayer. And, and I'm, I've walked through it and been through it many times myself of just a simple, we, we, we say, well, if we just have to believe, we just have to have to force our feelings to sort of believe that, that, that then we're in the camp. When in fact, the New Testament use of faith is this idea of I'm giving my loyalty to Jesus. I am saying that I'm going to align my attitude, my nature, my belief. I'm going to do things continually through my life that, that, that act as if there is a God acting in Christ in the world. I'm giving my first allegiance to Jesus. In fact, there's a lovely Christian pledge, maybe we'll use it some Sunday in, in our creed time and worship about this, giving our allegiance to Jesus Jesus. Again, this idea that it's a fuller range. It's not just about a feeling. It's about this idea of, and, and I'm all for feelings. Don't get me wrong. Like, feelings are important. In fact, that second song, I, I choked a little bit, and there was some line about my feelings lying to me. Well, your feelings are important anyway. Thought this, And I read the, the copyright date the, of the first song. This is, no, uh, I love Fu and Maureen. This is not a critique against them. Don't take it that way, okay? Now I'm going to owe them lunch after saying this. Jeez can I just shut up and move on with my message? Uh, but there was, something, there was something in that line that, like, ah! And, the, and then their second, then the third song, like, redeemed it all the way. Then they're like, oh, okay, all right, you know. Uh, the one was about yeah, death is a doorway, and the feelings thing, there's a lot of good stuff in it, too. That's the problem with Christian lyrics, right? It, it, it's a mixed bag, and God help worship leaders, it's, it's a tough gig. Um, And then the second song was all about the Lord's Prayer, not just about death, adore but heaven, come to earth, come allegiance now, we're going to declare. I'm like, all right, all right, good, good, okay. I can breathe easier, all right. So we don't need to have that lunch unless you really want me to get you lunch, which that's good too, so okay. Um, So this idea of allegiance, giving our allegiance to Christ. Uh, Brueggemann talks about this uh, in this passage. He says, this calls us to see ourselves as aliens and foreigners while in this world. It empowers us as well. He tells us that we are exiles and following God's revealed will in the Bible. And we are called to continue to contribute to this culture of love, this different way of being human, this way that is not defined first by allegiance to uh, country or allegiance to family first, but first to the family of God in Christ, to God's love in us, and that that shapes in all these other relationships differently. And we are told in Hebrews that we are to develop and to learn from those that have gone before us in this following of God, in their habits, their customs, the memories, the photographs, so to speak. And when we do this kind of remembering of the story of the world through those that have come before us and following after God and then following after Jesus, it shapes us differently. And passages like Hebrews 11 and Matthew 1, these genealogies and these short retellings of stories are there to remind us that when you say yes to allegiance to Christ, you are participating in something that goes all the way back and will go all the way forward in the future. And so you have hope that what we see right now in present day Vancouver with housing and health care crisis, what we see in present day Canada, by the way my family are becoming citizens on Tuesday unless the whole country goes up in flames so that's something um, <laughs> but my first allegiance is not to, I'm looking at that loyalty oath thing, really hard for me being a dual citizen coming from the US I'm telling you to swear allegiance to the queen but I'm working through it, I'm breathing slowly I'm doing my meditation practices and I can affirm, I don't have to swear I can affirm, that helps the Mennonite Anabaptist side of me as well um, but anyway, for those of you that have been praying for my Canadian conversion, your answer, the prayers has been answered or will be answered. So, all right. Uh, but hold your breath. It's not a done deal yet until Tuesday. So, This idea, though, of the allegiance shapes us. Our ultimate allegiance and our worries about the things in this world We are reminded that we can act differently. We can work for a different kind of world because our first allegiance by faith is in what God has done, is doing, and will do, even though we may not feel it or sense it in this particular moment. Faith anticipates the future. Faith evaluates the present. And faith looks beyond one's immediate desires and impulses and asks, where will these actions lead? How will they shape me? How will they form me? Will this harm me or hurt me or others long-term? What will this action look like? If it is a seed and it grows up, what will it grow up into? Oh, there's more I want to say about that, but I better just get a little more. I just, let's, let's look through the verses quick and then we'll land it here this morning. So reviewing the first few verses here, verses 1 through 3, we're reminded again, this faith is a triad of faith, hope, and love. And it calls us to move beyond. And I, I just shared a little bit about that. In verse 3, This idea of the visible being made from the invisible is a huge thing in scripture that our words produce, uh, create realities. Now, word of faith goes overboard on that, but there is something about this idea that what we speak, what we meditate on shapes us and that our feelings in this sense absolutely do matter and that in some ways we can bring a different kind of order to our inner life and how we think about them and wrestle with them. But this is lovely in that what he's going to launch into with the, the ancients of Israel that he begins by talking about what God has already done. None of this exists except for a creator initiating. It's, an, it's fascinating to read stories of certain scientists that have come to faith as they recognize sort of the infinite complexity of the universe and for the right variables to come together. There's a great story about uh, a scientist who was an atheist, uh, Fred Hoyle, and he was an astrophysicist, and this idea of coming to the understanding that, the, the, that life was so, that for the conditions to be right for life to burst forth, the number of cosmic coincidences actually brought him to faith in the idea of a creator. So here we have this in verses 1 through 3. Setting off the stage here, he defines what faith is in verse 1, and then he tells us again that God speaks and things come into existence. So therefore, when we wrestle with how we believe in our imaginations and words, we are participating in how the world has come together and continues to be created. Let's look quickly at verses uh, 8 through 10. When you look through 8 through 10 here, in the Old Testament, Abraham is the lead example of someone of faith. James, the early church leader, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his book, uh, faith without deeds is useless, so faith is not simply about our attitude, but also about our actions. To give allegiance to Christ without following through doesn't actually create that kind of condition for change in our world and within us. In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord, it tells us, and he credited to him as righteousness. Because of this reaching out and responding to God's initiative, the relationship is restored, the relationship is is there because of that faith. There are three stories of Abraham's life in this passage we just read. Departure to this holy land, later fulfillment of descendants, and then we didn't read verses 17 and 19, but the sacrifice of Isaac. But these demonstrate faith enabling Abraham to move beyond what seemed insurmountable. This idea of being led to a place you don't know, how do you do that? There's something in this imagination that... God grants Abraham and grants us. these idea of ancestors beyond, and he was well beyond the years, and it was their supernatural child, but also this idea that all of us become ancestors of Abraham when we receive Christ and give allegiance to Christ. Abraham is called to believe in his future homeland, though he was wandering. He didn't know where, but faith requires a release of control. It is said that in every relationship, there is a planner. With a, and in every relationship, there's a go with the flow person. Abraham had to plan and also had to go with the flow. I don't know about that. If you know that in your relationships, which one of you is a planner? Which, If you're married, which one of you is a planner? Which one is a go with the flow? God always puts those people together and he's got a sense of humor. But there is a certain release of control in order to experience newness, right? True newness. If you want to control everything, you'll miss the most creative and life-changing experiences. Abraham had to... Have trust, not blind faith, because he had this relationship. The relationship drove forward the decisions. And so he moves forward. He goes to the land, verse 9, but doesn't see it as the final goal. This is interesting. Abraham follows the leading that he had, the nudging, the whatever of the Lord. He goes there, but he acts as he's still an alien or a stranger. For those of you that are really excited about me becoming a Canadian citizen, I'm still going to be an alien and stranger and an immigrant all my life as long as I'm here. Even if I become a citizen. Because this is not my final home, as is. It will never be. No kingdom of the earth is as my allegiance is to Jesus. He stayed in tents, it tells us. They lived in a place and they stayed in tents. Must have been like the Vancouver housing market. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Verse 10, Abraham understood in following the creator that the creator has more for him and us than security and real estate on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. And understanding that this is only partly our home. And in order to be the best humans we can be here, this idea of scripture is that we lean into a future. Not as an escape mechanism, as it were, but we lean into that future of what is the ideal world? What should this human flourishing look like? And we lean into Jesus, and we lean into his teachings, and we lean into his death and resurrection. And that then calls us to live differently in this present world. That's why I was a little annoyed by that middle song, Death is a Doorway. And then the last song, Redemption Came. It's almost like they planned it or they read the notes ahead of time. Uh, It says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So this idea of faith looking forward to what is the ideal way that we live in community and live in love with one another, that then informs us how we live now. And it changes how we engage with the kingdoms of the world now. These things work together. They're not opposed. Like sometimes the fundamentalists and the super progressives get really off on this because the progressives are like, oh no, it's all now. And boy, and and David Fitch talks about being exhausted, trying to fix everything in your own strength, you know? And then you've got like the hyper fundamentalists and they're just like, it's all gonna go up in a nuclear bomb. Nuke it all, blow it all up. Fireball, bring it on, Jesus. Jesus riding a dinosaur, riding you know a rocket, riding with an AK-47. Like that's like, no, that's not biblical at all. God bless Canada. Okay, whatever. Yeah, no. Like, that's not a good picture either. No, we lean into the future not for some fiery judgment, but we lean into the future to be empowered with a vision that then gives us strength right now in this context by the working of the Holy Spirit, by the gifts and graces of God, that when I declare my kingdom of allegiance, I am praying, Lord, that your will would be done on earth now as it is in heaven. And when we do that, it empowers us to begin to act differently now in our lives and we don't always feel it all the time, but the work of the Spirit is there. And why does the church persist when the church even gets off track and all? I've talked a lot about that, but because there's something about God at work in the world, bringing about new conditions for flourishing in life. And you participate in that by faith, by faith, by allegiance to Jesus. Okay, I got I to wrap this up, don't I? Whew, all right, everyone said amen. Uh, <laughs> I like how N.T. Wright also talks about this passage. He says, faith enables our standing, our justification, our being made right with God to be affirmed in the present time. Hebrews agrees more or less exactly with what Paul means with justification by faith, one of the most New Testament's most powerful and comforting doctrines. And justification, this being made right, this being brought into God's goodness happens as we lean into God's vision for the future of, of, of love and of care, of redemption. There's a first stage to these promises. The first stage that we see in verses 11 through 12 again is this ancient land of Jerusalem where the temple was built, the birth of the child, etc. This first stage was the entire history of Israel from Abraham to the Messiah Jesus, but we lean now and work into this second stage that will come fully one day in Jesus' second return. Okay, the last few verses here, 13 through 16. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised. Well, that's a downer. But they saw them in the distance. They had holy imagination. They cultivated this inner sense with the work of the Spirit of God and welcomed and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For those who speak in such a way, make it clear they are seeking a homeland. They died while living in faith, and they lived a reality that they only got glimpses of, but it changed how they lived as they live by faith in this world. They lived as aliens and strangers, and they understood that as is, this is not the final destination. And this is important, because sometimes we think, if we just get this right politician in, or if we just do this church thing just this right way, if we just get the right ride that, that we've arrived, this is the idea, we're always on pilgrimage until Jesus comes and declares the journey's over. And we stay in that mindset, we lead into that tension, our lifelong journey. And this is part of, and there's seasons, of course, where we are resting in Christ and we are experiencing peace, but there's also this sense that we are to understand that as growing beings, there is more to come until the creator comes and says, hey, this is the new thing, and and I'm sure there'll be more stuff after that. But they lived this way in this tension. This world is not my home. There's an old spiritual that goes like that. This world, this world, not my home. Well, Anyway, last few verses, 15, 16. They had, if they had been thinking of the land they left, they could go back. I'm just going to leave that other than to say you can go back. But if your imagination has been sparked by the empowerment of the creative spirit of God, if you've heard the music floating, drifting back from what is to come, if you have that longing for a home that you've never been to, Augustine talks about this, C.S. Lewis speaks about this. If you've had that longing, then you are being called by your imagination, by the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you, to live as a different kind of person. And then it tells us this, verse 16, But as it is, they do aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. And let us not abstract that too much by going into the ditch on the one side. Just as we sang this morning, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The heavenly mindset is not escapist. The heavenly mindset is, Holy Spirit, empower me now to live the life that flourishes for me and for those around me and for the sake of your love. Leaning into that. How would our politics and world look different if President Joe Biden and Prime Minister uh, Trudeau And Chairman Xi asked questions like this How can I bring about the flourishing of the maximal number of people on this earth? How can I live in a way that we all, at the end, want to live in a place where love flourishes and we do not fear destruction, disease, the weapons and the tools of death? How would that change our earth? Well, you know what? It's not going to happen through them, but it can happen in every micro, tiny community, in every relationship. In these things, the church, official, unofficial, this idea of people centering themselves on the love of God in Christ. That's how the world has changed. In fact, had they been thinking of that land, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He calls them into new covenant. He's alluding to Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three here as well. The faith of these early matriarchs and patriarchs points them beyond, even beyond the Old Testament itself and their own kith and kin. They were looking not just for short-term homeland, but to a unique time when all would live together. The city of God is this new state of affairs, the life after death, this future stage. And the land that is received and lost was only a signpost. The ancient Israel was only a signpost to a greater reality to come. So then we want to live differently. We want to hear these stories. These stories from scripture. We should uh, find ways to sort of immerse our minds in these stories that speak of God breaking into the world and showing us a different way of being human. God is not ashamed to be their God. I'm reminded of the... um, Martin Luther King Jr., some of his preaching and sermons, I don't know if you've ever listened to him, but having grown up in the States, you obviously read and listen to his speeches and sermons. And when he was dealing with injustice in the U.S. around anti-black racism, which is still a thing in, the, in North America to some extent, but he did some great work, and he talked about this in some of his speeches, like I Have a Dream, for example, he he, he talks about this and, and this leaning into the future. And then there was a, a speech he gave, actually a sermon he gave at, at a Pentecostal C.H. Mason Tabernacle, Church of God Christ in Christ in Memphis, I think it was Memphis, Tennessee. And he gives this speech and, and, and he's going to be um, killed, going to be murdered, assassinated after this. And he says this and he's pulling from this biblical prophetic imagination. And here's one real practical example and he's encouraging people. He says, we have difficult days ahead. I can't do it justice. Listen to it live or listen to a recording of it. And he told this crowd at C.H. Mason Temple, which is a Pentecostal, big Pentecostal, biggest Pentecostal denomination in the U.S. And he says, it doesn't matter with me now. I've been to the mountaintop. Remember, Moses went to the mountaintop and God showed him the promised land and said, but you won't go there, Moses, but the people will because Moses had unresolved issues with his anger. That's a whole other sermon. And NMLK is drawing from this and he says, I've been to the promised land or I've seen the promised land rather and I may not get there with you but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, he's talking to African Americans in the States, in the South, that we as a people will get to the promised land. This idea of story shaping and forming your imagination to make a better world is part of what it means that we do in the local church. That our stories fund they give strength to, they give give currency to this moving forward in a new way of being human. And now the church in North America, of course, is going through all kinds of convolutions because too often it has let itself be co-opted or crushed by the powers, whether they're corporate powers, accumulated centralized powers, generally centralized power goes off the rails, whatever form it takes, because we can't handle it. But the church at its best helps us cultivate through our stories through the telling of the stories of the patriarchs and of the bible why is there power in the bible why uh it's it, it, well to use thinking of mlk and some of the early churches that were planted among the slaves in the u.s they uh, slave owners in the south gave them bibles but they took out a ton of stuff that talked about liberation because it's there the story is there of god bringing freedom to people both in this world now and in the life to come but this book funds the story of God. This, this book can empower, this book can stir your imagination to live differently, to so have a different picture of your life, your relationships, how you deal with all of the things that happen in our conflicted bodies and in this world. And so this morning, this third message, is, I had to do a little theological dive before I go back to more storytelling, but this is a chapter that summarizes all of these stories in order to remind us there's a different way of thinking about your life and your world, to hear your story differently through God. So let me land it and say this. What should we note and live into today? Finally, i just summarize it by saying this. What stories are you telling yourself? What stories are you telling yourself about yourself, your family, this church, our city, our country, our world? What stories are you telling yourself? The way of Jesus gives us stories to understand our world differently, in a different way than the totalizing, ultimately total controlling claims of the powers around us. What story right now are the people of Taiwan and the people of mainland China saying about power and the nature of power and military and might and numbers? What are the stories that the Trumpiest Trumps or the or the Bidenist Bidenist people are are telling themselves about power and people and what makes for a good flourishing world? What stories are being said in Ottawa? What stories are we saying right here in this church? Does this church have a future and a hope? Does this church have a purpose? What stories are we telling ourselves? This this is the kind of story we're called. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For by it, the people have received God's commendation, God's encouragement. By faith, we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command. By faith, Abraham pursued a country that he did not know, went on a journey that he didn't know where he was going. And it was given to him as a restored, empowered relationship with the Creator. And he continued on. The way of Jesus gives us stories to understand our world and ourselves in a total way. The second reminder this morning as we close, practices that cultivate our faith, the better story. When we worship, when we sing, when we hear the foolishness of preaching, when we wrestle in home churches, when we teach one another in discipleship courses and in those other contexts, These practices should be centered around understanding that God is at work in the world and that faith is not blind faith but it's rooted in God's work and so we have faith and and hope that cultivates this sense of goodness that's going to happen and ultimately it's all rooted in love. This is why the triad in the New Testament is faith, hope, and love because faith eventually does become sight and hope becomes fulfilled but love is the root of it all and is forever and ever and ever and death cannot even take love down. What stories are we telling ourselves? This is a house that God builds. This is a part of a bigger kingdom. Many, many many other churches centered on the love of Jesus. This should be a house of testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I had no sense of future, but when Jesus came into my life, I learned that I have another kind of purpose, that my purpose isn't just about producing and earning and doing all the things and then dying and maybe leaving some of it to somebody behind me. But no, there is more than that. There is working to make heaven come on earth. And finally, I want to remind you, what stories are you telling yourself Be encouraged with the practices that cultivate faith. What we do here is political in the deepest way, more than any political party, more than any other nation, say what the local church does in declaring that God is at work in the world. And by faith, we lean into that even when we don't always see it. Changes this world, makes this world better. All those other things are better when this is functioning. And then finally, this third thing that we note and live into is that Jesus is the better story. But there's a God who works at the margins. There's a God who works from the bottom up. There's a God who lets us kill him. And in some ways, we're always trying to crucify Christ. Sometimes we're always trying to... But because he is love, it doesn't win. Death doesn't win. He rises again in our midst. He rises again in our lives. And when we think all faith is lost and all hope is gone... And when the darkness comes and crushes us or we feel it's crushing us, we are reminded that even the darkest dark, darkest night is not dark to him. The light breaks through again and again and again and again and again. You cannot keep love down. You cannot keep Christ down again and again and again. And this is what we peddle at Pilgrim Church. We are on a journey. There is more. Oh Lord, let your will be done on earth and help us to be those kinds of people. Not not just help us, empower us God because we can't do it in our own strength alone. We've got some strength but we can't sustain it without your strength working in us. There's a better story to center your life on because you will center your life on some story. They centered their story on this God who revealed his work in creation, this creator and then We are told that the better story is Jesus. It says this, then, therefore, therefore, since you've heard all these stories of how God has worked in the past, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, get rid of every weight, get rid of every sin, get rid of injustice, get rid of all the things that cling and run with endurance the race set out, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus because he's the better story, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross Because he knew the cross was not the end. You cannot keep him down. Will you give your allegiance to Jesus again this day? By faith, reaching out with your holy imagination. Stand with me this morning, let's pray. We introduced lots of uh, concepts in this passage and there's so much more I'd love to unpack. You know me, it's just how I am, nerdy like that. We are here because of the faith of people that have gone before us. Maybe at Pilgrim, maybe at other churches, maybe other other places. But we are here because they have passed those stories on and we have entered into their story. And now our stories are being shaped in the future stories around Jesus. So today I just simply say to you, if you need to uh, consider again your allegiance to Christ or you have never said yes to Jesus and his way of being in the world You're not going to understand it all. First, we believe in order to understand. We take those steps of faith in order to understand more. When it's not blind faith, it's not Indiana Jones stepping out into the chasm. (laughs) We have the patriarchs and the matriarchs. We have their stories, those both in uh, the last generation and generations ago. And we stand and we are surrounded by them, the great cloud of witnesses. And so this morning, maybe this is your day to give allegiance to him, and I. No manipulation, no arm twisting other than encouragement and excitement. Consider that. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the City Works Department that is right behind us. (laughs) And the grinding of the metal treads on the pavement. Lord, we thank you that you have called us today to rethink our allegiance and our stories. If I was a better preacher, I'd get in cadence with the tracks, but I can't do it. So, Lord, we thank you that you care for us. And as we're wrestling in the heat of summer with this idea of stories and storytelling, and we went through the wonderful story of of Hadassah a few weeks ago and shared some stories last Sunday. As we look at this litany in Hebrews 11, this genealogy of faith, we want to find our place in it. And God, I confess that we've often been beaten down by circumstances. We've been beaten down by the church being co-opted and being just utterly stupid and sinful. And Lord, we want to be in a repentant, humble posture because of that. But we also want to remember that the thing that birthed the church and sustained the church is you and your story. You're building the church. So today we want to lean into that. We want to lean into you. We want to lean into your goodness today. And Father, if there's anyone here that needs to give their allegiance to you, if there's been other things that have been promising all sorts of stuff, um, we want to release that and say, yeah, they may be important, but ultimately we want to be rooted and grounded in love as, as you have made real to us. Not out of fear, not out of fear of death, not out of fear of any of those things, but Because we want to participate in what makes the world better. And it's not to be found simply in governments and powers. But in this radical community centered around you. This one and thousands and thousands like it. Around our country, around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.